We are in week number two of uh, this misunderstood series, and sometimes when you hear people quote Scripture, and they use it in such a way that you're thinking, that just doesn't seem, I mean, I know it's in the Bible, but it doesn't seem like that's who God is, right? So sometimes it doesn't seem like when we hear people quote a verse of Scripture, and I'm glad they do, but it just doesn't seem like that is what maybe God intended. So what we're doing in this series is we're going through different verses, and there's a lot to pull from. But we are kind of focusing in this series on four different passages of Scripture that seem to be misapplied a little bit too frequently. This particular verse, my experience has been, is used by Christians and non-Christians alike. Like, it's such a popular verse. It's so used that it seems to be the argument that people use to trump all the other arguments when you're having a discussion about standards or social structure or the rights of people or whatever. And that is Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. And so I'm going to read this, and I know you're going to become familiar with it as soon as I say it. Judge not that you be not judged. Tell me, you've heard that, right? Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. So, What we're saying when we use this verse a lot of times is that you have no right to tell me how to live because you're not supposed to judge me. I mean, you're a sinner too, so how are you qualified? And I get that. Here's another thing I hear a lot of times. I can live my life however I want to choose to live my life. I mean, I'm not hurting anyone. How about this? It doesn't really matter how you live as long as you're happy. And so people use these expressions, and then they use a verse like this, thinking that they've backed you into a corner, that you don't have the right or the ability to say anything about the way that they're living. Now, we're going to get there. Don't, I mean, I think that there is something to that. But I feel like this is thrown out and used so often that it's lost what its original intention was when Jesus gave us these words written in red in your Bible. Now, let me just say this kind of as a preface in the beginning. Be very careful how you respond if and when somebody uses this. Be very careful. And here's, because if you mess this up, If you don't respond well, you can hurt them, you can hurt your relationship with them, and you can hurt the cause of Christ. Probably more than anything I can really think of. Because how we handle disagreements and the way we think other people ought to live is very critical and God's ability to speak to their heart one day. 
And you've heard the expression, I love Jesus, it's just all his followers that I can't stand. That's, that's so much the truth, because we can just be jerks. And I've known so many, I've been a jerk. I know I have been. Not recently, though. Nothing that you would know. But if you carry that reasoning that you can't tell me how to live and you don't have the right to speak into my life and, and I'm not hurting anybody and don't judge me, if you carry that, that means a teacher has no right to grade a student on a test. Because that's judging, right? That means none of us have the right to sit on a jury and pass judgment on a defendant. A police officer doesn't have the right to give you a ticket for driving recklessly. I mean, if you, so, so really, the truth of the matter is, it's not whether or not we have the right to be judged or whether we have the right to judge. It's just about in what context and, and where we draw the line. Because what if somebody was doing a horrible, despicable act and you stepped in to stop it and they looked at you and said, you can't judge me. Why is it all of a sudden you think you have the right to judge because of the way they're behaving? So it's really a matter of degrees. It's like, where do we draw the line? Now, we learned last week just a few ways that anytime you encounter a verse of Scripture that seems controversial or maybe just, okay, I don't feel like that's how it's supposed to be used, we learned that it's very important to know what that verse says in the context in which it was written. Who wrote it? Who it was written to? What are the other verses around it saying? What is the context in which that was put in there by the Lord? And then how does that reflect on what that verse says? We also learn that it's important to know that when you are looking at a scripture, it's, it's, it's not a great idea to isolate that one verse and pull it out and use it, maybe the way that it wasn't intended, if it doesn't match up with the consistency of scripture, of other scriptures. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. When you're trying to figure out what a verse says, find out where else that topic is discussed or, or that word is used or, or that verse is imitated in another part of Scripture and compare it with this one to see if it matches up because the Bible is not going to contradict itself regardless of how smart we think we are to find out inconsistencies. It is unusual to me that we are harder on the Scriptures than we are on any other book. It's like we have to prove that something's wrong because then it's not our authority if it has mistakes in it. So we have to find the context. What does other Scripture say? And then I want us to also, we learn this. As you're figuring this stuff out and learning what verses mean, (laughs) wouldn't it be great if we spent more time living it out than just trying to parse it out? like putting into practice what we do know we're supposed to do rather than looking for these inconsistencies. So thinking of the context that this verse was written in, this is the first couple of verses of chapter 7. All of chapter 6 in Matthew, Jesus spent his time calling out hypocrisy. So he spent all of his time in chapter 6 railing on the Pharisees because of the hypocrisies. They want to pray in public so everybody can see how spiritual they are. 
They fast so that everybody knows that they are, they are without food. I mean, they do everything they possibly can in order to be able to be seen of men everything they're doing. And there's just this sense of hypocrisy that Jesus is trying to combat when it comes to spirituality. And then he begins this chapter 7 with kind of the same theme. And, he, and, then, and then he continues and talks about false prophets that come in and try and deceive you and manipulate you and change how you believe about things. So in that context, what I'm seeing here is that Jesus is not necessarily telling us not to show discernment. He is telling us not to judge hypocritically. And that is incredibly important. Because Jesus was very discerning, and Jesus made comments and judged and railed against a lot of people while he was ministering here on earth, mostly spiritual religious people, by the way. Look at what he continues to say in the very following verses here, Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. And why do you, does this ring a bell? Behold the moat... That's like a piece of sawdust in your brother's eye. But don't consider the beam that is in your own eye. He's not saying not to ever consider the moat. He's just saying before you consider the moat, let's take care of the beam. Do you sense the hypocrisy? Now, this is right after the verses that we just read that we always misquote. Uh, Judge not. We misapply. Judge judge not. He be not judged. You can't tell me how to live. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you need to show discernment, just don't be a hypocrite about it. Or, how will you say to your brother, let me pull out the moat out of your eye, and behold, a beam is in your own eye. Just the mental picture, that's silly, isn't it? Like you've got this big stick sticking out of your eye, and you're trying to, you know, hit him in the head. It's just, it's such a ridiculous illustration. And that's what Christ is trying to say. It's so ridiculous that you would attempt to point out an inconsistency in somebody else's life when that inconsistency is so huge and glaring in your own. You hypocrite. That word hypocrite is, is, has the connotation of an actor on a stage. You're faking it. You're an actor. This isn't really you. You're doing this for people to think this is who you are. But it's not really who you are. Don't you just hate fake? I just hate fake. Just be real. Even if you being real is not what you think we want to see, I'd rather see the real you than the fake you. And yet we seem to specialize in acting like a Christian rather than just being one. He says this, you hypocrite, you actor, you faker, first cast out the beam out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to cast out the moat out of your brother's eye. Hypocrisy. So that's kind of the context that we're in here with this passage of Scripture about judging not. So let's now what I want to do is give you a couple Scripture references where we can 
take a look at the whole picture of Scripture and what it says about judging, because there's a lot of it. We're going to pick out a few verses here and give ourselves some pointers. We're going to take a look at um, uh, instances in Scripture that give us some direction on how to do this well. Because I don't think we do it very well. I think, that, I think that we're good at finding fault, but we miss the point of pointing it out. We're good at, at finding inconsistencies in others. We're just, we're just not good at knowing what to do with it once we find it. So here's a couple things I want you to keep in mind. First of all, this. First of all, don't judge superficially. Don't judge superficially. In John chapter 7, in verse 24, here's another famous passage. It says, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Now, that, what, the, what that kind of means there, picture it this way. Don't judge from a distance. Don't judge from a distance. Like, you're making a decision about that individual, and you're condemning them in your mind because of something in their life that you see from this far away. And the problem with that is you're not really close enough to know the truth about that individual. You're basing it on what you see from far away. Don't judge superficially. That's why Facebook is such a useless forum to argue with somebody about anything. Because you are so far away from that person. And our relationships on Facebook are so shallow, we feel like we know them. And so we can speak into their lives and make our point, and we're brave on a keyboard. But if we were ever in a room with them, we wouldn't say a word. You hypocrite. You faker, you act like you have a lot of bravado, but when you're with somebody, you don't say anything. You just wait till you can get online and say something later. That's what I love about these. What's up, Front Royal? Let me get on there and bash a, a business in town or a restaurant in town. Well, did you talk to the manager? No. Did you allow them the opportunity to correct it? No. We just want to get on there. I just hate that stuff. And I'm not sure how I got on that. I don't know how you distracted me. But listen, we've all been misjudged, haven't we? I, um, a couple weeks back, I had a couple opportunities to be a character witness in court. Um, that's an uncomfortable situation. I don't know if you've ever been in front of a judge. When that judge holds sway over your life, and if things don't go the way that you hoped they would go, it's like you want to say, but, 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 but um, it's too late. They made their decision. It's permanent. And so it's like, I just don't, that's just not a comfortable position to be in. And um, I don't, want to be in that position where you're judging me. But you know what? I'm kind of in one of those positions where it just happens. 
And I've tried to set the bar really low so that your expectations aren't very high, so that maybe what I do doesn't really surprise you, okay? Because I promise you I'm going to disappoint you. Let me just, you're going to find something out about me and you say, are you kidding? No, they're not. It's probably true. But at least give me the opportunity to explain, right? So we just don't do that. We, we judge so superficially based on the littlest amount of evidence. And we judge from very far away. I've had, I've had judgment the opposite way too, where, where they thought better of me than I really was. I don't mind that so much. But it's kind of the way things are. I'm not big on judging other churches either. So let's, let's kind of apply this idea of our superficial judgment to the body of Christ and other bodies of Christ. Because in my opinion, I'm for people who are for God, right? I'm in favor of people who are trying to serve him. And not, not everybody does it the way I think they ought to. But I am for people who are for God. And rather than kicking our own fellow soldiers, how about let's come alongside and be encouraging and partner with. So don't judge superficially. And then here's another scripture. Don't judge hypocritically. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 2. What an incredible passage here. There's actually four verses. We're going to read the first and fourth. It says this, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man. Whosoever you are that judges, for wherein you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you that judge do the same things. I didn't say it. Paul said it to the church of Rome. And isn't it true that so often when we point out fault in the life of somebody else, it's actually something that we are also dealing with? But look at the heart of God here. Look at verse 4. Or despise you the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing, what is this, that the goodness of God leads to repentance. Wait a minute, you mean my Facebook post is not going to lead to repentance? You mean me arguing about my favorite political candidates not going to change anybody's mind? What? You mean, you mean the fact that I point out inconsistencies in other people's lives aren't going to make them run to Christ? What? Apparently not. And what Paul does here instead is, rather than us going around feeling like we're fruit inspectors, judging everybody else's lives, how about if we show them what the love of God looks like, that is forbearing, and patient, and long-suffering, so that the goodness of God can be exemplified in our life and see if maybe that helps start a relationship with Jesus Christ or bring them closer to him. Yeah, but that's kind of hard. 
Yeah, well, let's not do anything difficult. It's much easier just to spout off at the mouth. But here's the truth. Too often, we accuse others but excuse ourselves. That's what Paul is saying. We accuse others, but we excuse ourselves. God says in those verses that Paul wrote that the heart of God is not necessarily judgment. It is goodness. Goodness. Here's the reason that we... Here's the reason we, we, we excuse ourselves and accuse others is because we know us. We, we know, now think about this, we know us. So we don't judge ourselves superficially because we know us. We know why we do what we do. And we've reasoned it out in our mind, so we've excused that behavior because we know what we're going through in our circumstances and why we just did what we did. But when we are not us and we look at somebody else in the way that they behave, we accuse them rather than excuse them because we don't know what they're going through. And that's what I'm saying. We are hypocritical in how we react to the behavior of other people because it's a superficial judgment that we're doing from far away and we be become hypocritical. Folks, it is inexcusable. It is inexcusable. Now, that being said, I think there is some behavior that is inexcusable, even if I don't know you very well. We went, uh, we went tubing a week or two ago down the river. And as, as luck would have it, We got right in the middle of two of the largest tubing groups I've ever seen in my life. Greyhound buses worth of people from Northern Virginia came out to go tubing for the day. And we had, not kidding you, a group of about 100 tubers in front of us and about 100 tubers behind us. And I'm all for having a good time. But they were having a little bit too much of a good time. And then some of them started, and they were so loud, right? You just, you couldn't enjoy the nice, quiet river because everything was just so loud. And there was a couple that just stood out. And there was this one guy that I judged because he was getting belligerent with some 12 and 13-year-old girls and using language. And one of the folks in his group said something to him about the way he was behaving. He said, you don't know me. You don't know me. You can't say that about me because she was calling him a name. You want to know what that name is, don't you? I'm not going to tell you. It was a bad name. Okay. It was, no, I'm not going to. He's like, you don't know me. And I'm thinking to myself, we know you well enough. All right. We know you well enough that you're using foul language with some 12 and 13-year-old girls. Now, I don't know why they were out there without their mom and daddy, but I was just about up to here. So there are some times when I don't really need to know you. You're just a jerk. But I'll be honest with you, folks. So many times we're superficial in our judgment of others, and we're hypocritical in our judgment of others. And then here's another point I want to make. From 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, Don't hold non Christians to Christian standards. 
Don't hold non-Christians to Christian standards. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians. He says this, For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Without the faith, without the church. He said, so, so I am not going to be party to judging people who are outside of the faith. Do not you judge them that are within. So he's saying our focus should be correcting behavior within the body of Christ rather than without the body of Christ. Because in my opinion, it's not, okay, so, so if I went over to your house and I started correcting your children based on the rules of my house, that wouldn't be fair to your kids because they don't know how I live. Now, if they come over to my house, it might be a rude awakening. But if I go to your house, it's not fair for me to hold your kids accountable to my rules. They're your kids. And so somehow we've mistaken our position in this world as one of as one of a, an officer of the laws of God to, to correct the behavior of everybody outside the church. <laughs> hey, you non-Christian, you need to act like a Christian. It doesn't work because they're not a Christian. And I know because you're thinking right now, well, there are some things, and I, do, I agree there are some things. And if a guy's driving drunk down my street or being dangerous, yeah, I'm going to say something. What I'm talking about is, is the things that we spend so much of our time on. Their behavior. They're not believers. They're somebody else's kids. I hate to say it, but they don't have God as their heavenly father. And it makes a difference in how they live. We're not called to change people outside of the family of God. Here's what we are called to do. You ready for this? This will make you feel better. We are called to love them to Jesus and let him change their lives. Boy, I got one amen anyway. It's so much easier. May I just challenge you to do this? May I challenge you to love them well and love them to Jesus, so then maybe Jesus will begin working on their lives so that they can see the world the way that you do because the way that you do must be right because it's the way that you see the world. I'm not trying to take our teeth out of our mouths. I'm not trying to to make us less effective in this world. I'm trying to tell you this is the way that God intends for us to change the world is to make them a part of his family. It's to reach them with a beautiful, loving gospel of Christ and then let God work on them. There's such a difference in what you can do in their lives and the effectiveness that you'll have and what Jesus can do. Listen, you are welcome here. I don't know who you are. Don't know where you came from. Don't know what your background is. Don't know what you struggle with. Don't know what your failures are. You are welcome here. Church, just like we welcome you, 
we welcome them. Because that's who we are. That's what the church of Christ is about. And when we sit here in church and we worry more about what that person is wearing or who they're sitting with, or we know this about them outside of Sunday, you got the wrong idea. Because we're supposed to be loving them to Jesus and let Jesus work on their life. What that means is they may not be that right now. But here's the thing. We're not investing in them. We just want them to change because we think that's how they ought to live. But again, you're looking at them from far away. You don't know what they're going through, what they've been through, what their life is like, what their life is going to be like. And our job is just to love them where they are to Jesus and let him make them who he sees them needing to be. And then here's another great verse about judging that maybe you didn't connect with the other one. But always help restore other believers who have fallen. Always help restore other believers who have fallen. One of my favorite verses in the Bible that I memorized years ago, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Because this is going to be all of us at one point or another. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Get that, meekness, gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And then he tags this on in the next verse. Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So here's the key factor in restoration is relationship. And that's what I feel like we are missing When we judge hypocritically, when we judge superficially, and when it comes to another believer and they make a mistake and they mess up, what right do we have to speak into their lives if we don't have a relationship that we've already built to reach them? Because until you've built a relationship with them, it's going to be very difficult to restore them. And I don't think I put this in your notes, but rarely does relationship occur, um, restoration occur without a relationship. Rarely does restoration occur without a relationship. Now, it's very rare that I would ever correct anybody else's behavior unless I felt like I had a relationship with them that they would respond to what I had to say. Rarely. And I would just encourage you, as you're reading a verse like this, judge not that you be not judged. Don't take it to mean that I can never speak in anybody's life. But may I encourage you, if you do speak into someone's life, that you're not being a hypocrite and that you're not judging them superficially and that you don't expect an unbeliever to act like a believer because we got different dads. And if it happens to be a believer who has fallen, make sure that you have a relationship that is worthy of helping restore them to where they need to be. So this isn't easy. It takes work. And I'll close with this verse. 
our incredible example, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, where John is describing Christ coming to earth, he says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And then he has this parenthesis, And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten Father. And then he continues the thought, full of grace and truth. So just for emphasis sake, I want to take out that middle phrase there where it's parenthesized. And I want to say, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. I want you to notice not only the two words, grace and truth, but which one he put first. He put grace first. And our relationship with other people needs to be full of grace. And here's the truth. If you have have all truth and no grace, you may be right. You probably are right, and you point out the inconsistencies in somebody else, and you're judging them, and you're inspecting their fruit, and you are probably right, and that's the truth. But if you have all truth, it turns people away. And if you never make any correction, and you're all grace, it gives a license for everything and anything. So it's like, I don't know which one to choose. You don't have to choose. You do both. You do both. You don't have to say, well, do, am I mean to them and show them the truth or am I? No, you, you show them grace. And you show them the truth. Keeping in mind not to be a hypocrite, superficial, not expecting an unsaved individual to act like a saved individual. And that relationship is key to restoring somebody. Judge not that you be not judged doesn't mean that we can never say something about the lives of somebody else and the way that they're living. We have the right to speak into somebody else's life if we've earned that right to speak into their life. I just think that it needs to look a lot different than how we're doing it. And so maybe that verse, you know, has a different feeling now. Judge not that you be not judged. All right, so if somebody uses that on you, are they telling you, you can't speak into my life because you haven't invested anything in my life? You don't have the right to tell me because you've not put anything into my life to warrant me. You ever done that with your kids? Like they just start getting a little sassy or something? Like they just, you know, they're just pushing it a little bit. And then you remind them that everything in their life is because of you. The bed they sleep on, the roof over their head, the food they eat, the phone they have in the back pocket. I mean, everything in their life is because of your generosity to them. Even their life is because of something you did. So don't you come to me with an attitude that you deserve something. So you get that sense that 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 irritates me a little bit? But I have the ability and the right to speak into their life like that because I've invested in them. They're my kids. So if we want that right to speak into other people's lives, I just encourage you to invest in them as well. And rather than just become someone who just inspecting all the time, how about you are investing all the time and making that happen? Let's have a word of prayer.
Father, thank you for wanting us to be better than we are. Thank you for using other people in my life to make correction and to point things out. And I pray, Father, that as we go through life and we do life with other people, that we make sure that we are investing sufficiently to make a difference. Father, we love you. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the benefit of being in the body of Christ to keep us accountable, but help us to invest in the lives of each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.